This morning we're going to be over in the book of Numbers. We're again looking at a pretty well-known story, but it's not one we've covered in a long time. But we'll take a look at at this. This is going to be our last week looking at assumptions. And this time we're going to be comparing assumption with presumption. And there's a place in the Old Testament here, Numbers 14, that shows us how easy it is to disobey what God says. It is so easy to disobey what God says. It's difficult to do what God says. No matter how simple it is, it is difficult to do what God says. There's a reason for that. Now, last week we were looking at a fake crisis that was created because certain people wanted something different than the status quo. They wanted to change things around. And by creating this crisis, they fanned it to a flame. Some people died. Idols were made. Sacrifices made. And a party went on. And Moses was sent down from the mountain to take care of it. We made a note for you last time. If the urgency doesn't come in your spirit, it doesn't merit any drastic changes. Make sure that the urgency you have comes in your spirit, not from anything that anyone else ever says to you, not from anything that you hear, and not from anything that you see. It has to come from your spirit. Now, sometimes your spirit will give you an urgency that no one else sees. So you respond to that. The more we learn to respond to the urgency of our spirit, the better shape we'll be in. This is uh, why learning how to hear the voice of your spirit more than anything will determine our usefulness to God's kingdom. That's one of the most important things we have to has to get hold of. Now I want and I got some definitions because I don't know if if I don't know that I could. If if I were to ask you what is the difference between an assumption and a presumption? And so I went to the dictionary to find this out. And to assume is to suppose without reason or evidence. I don't need any reason. I don't need any evidence. If I see something and it clicks in me what it is, I just go with it. If I see two people talking and it comes up in me, they're talking about me, and this is what they're saying, I just believe it. That's an assumption. Presumption is to suppose with some probability or evidence. Doesn't have to be conclusive, just some. Or, at times it's used for a dare. Sometimes we are presumptive in the things we do. We're kind of daring. It means to act or to undertake with undue boldness or without permission. That's another another definition of it. To act or to undertake with undue boldness or without permission. In law, it refers to accepting something as true in the absence of proofs of its falsity. So when you presume something, it can be considered that you're doing so on the basis of probability. When you assume something, you're supposing without any proof at all. So let's, um, let's go. I want to read a verse of scripture here to you. This is not in your outline. If you wanted to, to write it down, you can. Matthew 3 and verse 9. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Now, I looked up this word here for presume. And you know how descriptive the Greek is? You know, like love, we have four different words for love. 
and we've got different multiple words for things we have one word for. This is one of those few exceptions where English blows Greek out of the water. It does not happen very often. So I looked this up. I actually looked it up in the vines for probability, or for, I'm sorry, for presume and assume. And do you know there is not a single word in the Greek language that means to assume or one that means to presume? Not a single one. When you find it in the New Testament, you will find the word think or dare. In fact, if you go to Vines and you looked up uh, presume, it'll send you over to dare. Because the, the one time that it sees it's used, it's, it's used as a, as a dare. So it's just not there. But they, they get that thought by, by thinking on the thing. That's what the, the word they use. So it doesn't happen often, but uh, English beat up on Greek on this one. Over here in the in the Hebrew, and Hebrew is not much better, but in Deuteronomy seventeen thirteen, and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. In Deuteronomy eighteen and twenty, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods. That prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Boy, isn't that something we want to know? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So they have accepted the word without substantial Substantial evidence. We need to prove the things that God has said to us. Now, before we get over to Numbers 14, I want to read a verse of Scripture here to you in Psalms. We're going to read the entire Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now he starts off here real nice. Blessed is the man who walks not. He goes with a negative here. I like that first part. Blessed is the man. How many of you we want to be blessed? I want the blessings of God. But he says, if we want to be that blessed person, we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So people who don't serve God, don't listen to their counsel. Don't stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't go the way that sinners go. If you see sinners following after a certain thing, don't follow after that. Just know, that's not the way I want to go. This day and age, we can certainly see a whole lot of sinners all going in the same direction. Just know, I'm not going there. They're all going there. I don't want to, I want to be blessed. I'm not going in that direction. Don't stand in the path of the sinners. Don't walk in it. Don't stand in it. Don't get, get away from it. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't look on other people with a scornful eye. This is what the, the unsaved will do. Don't follow in that path. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Well, that's not possible. Apparently it is. Because God's word said to do it. We can do this. If you go to bed at night, don't be thinking about all the problems, all the things that happen in the day. Don't be thinking scornful thoughts or how other people hurt you. Be thinking about the word of God. If you want your, your way to be blessed. If we do this, this is what he says of us. We shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That's trees like to be by water. You got lots to drink that way. That brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, whatever he does shall prosper. If we do these things. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The righteous are going to stand in judgment of the ungodly, not the ungodly the way around. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So this is the way that we ought to go. We need to go and to meditate on the things of God's word day and night. There's other places we have seen this before. These are really nothing new to you. But this is how we are to operate. All right, Numbers chapter 14. This comes right after the 12 spies had been sent out into the land. They came back and 10 spies gave a bad report. Two spies gave a good report. And after they gave the bad report and the people were upset at all this was going on, it says, so all the congregation in verse 1 lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. They were so upset over all this, they cried all night long. Were they meditating on the Word of God all night long? No, they were meditating on their problems. They're thinking on their problems. According to Psalms, is their way going to be successful? It is not. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Hmm. This is not going well. They're not following in the way of prosperity. They're not following in the way of having success. They complained. I saw one note that I had made a long time ago. When we complain, we change our direction. If I am going in a direction and I'm being positive and I'm speaking good things about it, as soon as I make the complaint, I have turned my direction and I am now going another another way. Don't turn your direction. Stay the way that God wants. The direction that the children of Israel have been going is the way of the promised land. They're ready to move in and to take it over. But the complaint started when they heard the bad report. Now they have a pattern. That's your blanks in there. They have a pattern of refusing to obey what God had already proclaimed to them. This is their pattern. God proclaims things to them and they refuse to obey it. It's a bad pattern. Now you can develop different patterns if you want. Here's a, here's a couple of them. You can develop a pattern of refusal 
I'm going to refuse the things of God. You can develop a pattern of questioning the things of God. Constantly question. Every time God says something, we question. We, we can do this as children. Sometimes when we're children, we refuse to do the things our parents says. Sometimes as children, we question everything they say. Well, why do I need to do that? Well, why do I have to come to dinner now? Why do I have to clean my room now? And we have the, the questions. And we develop a questioning habit instead of just going there and, and doing it. If you get in the military, if you refuse to do the commands, it won't go well. If you question and say, well, why do I need to do that? It won't go well. There's no tolerance in the military. If you don't do it, when you're told, as you're told, it doesn't, it doesn't go well. Now, I can also develop a pattern of obedience. We've mentioned it before. That's what boot camp is about when you get in the military. Boot camp is all about teaching you a pattern of obedience. Not a pattern of refusal. Not a pattern of questioning. We want a pattern of obedience. By the time you get done boot camp, you should be jumping as soon as your higher up says go. That's, a, that's the way we need to go with it. Verse 6. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying the land we passed through to spy out as an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared to the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. If we ever get to the place where we are speaking God's word to deception, deception wants to silence you. It will try and make you quiet. If, it, if you don't get quiet, it will try and eliminate you. That's the way it goes because lies cannot bring light, but God's word does. So they realize that light coming in is going to show up their, their lies and they don't want that to go on. So, in the second part here, we're going to say that they have a recognition that Joshua and Caleb recognize the trouble the rest of Israel doesn't. They recognize you guys have just moved us out of the place of being where God wants us to be, going after the thing that God wants us to go after, having the hand of God on us to a place where all that we leave behind. And they realize that's trouble. And so that's why they're they're tearing their clothes, why they're upset, because they have moved them. They're moving the entire nation. And if they move the whole nation, that's where Joshua and Caleb have to go too. And they don't want to go there. They want to go into the promised land. I put this in your outline for you. People who doubt God are people who cannot see past the natural. People who doubt God are people who cannot see past the natural. If you are going to doubt the things that God speaks to you, down in your spirit, God has given you a word. God, down in your spirit, God has spoken to you from his word. If you are going to doubt that, you are walking as a natural man and you do not have the ability, you are not allowing yourself to see past the natural. I put this in your outline too. People who trust God and take him at his word are people who see into the spiritual. They see into the spirit realm. 
They see things beyond what is natural and they see what God is doing. Caleb and Joshua are people who see into the spirit realm. They see what the spirit of God is leading them to. The rest are in the natural. If you are going to move into the things of God, you've got to get out of the natural and into the spiritual. Verse 11, then the Lord said to me, or said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? Been going on a long time. And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, when God sends the pestilence, whew. <laughs> and Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among those people that you, Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land, which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he might by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the fourth, the third and fourth generation. That doesn't mean that what the fathers do, that those sins get carried down to the third and fourth generation. It means his mercy will hold off the judgment to see if the second generation will change their ways, to see if the third generation will change their ways, to see yet if the fourth generation will change their ways. And then finally, God says, all right, we just gotta, we gotta judge this thing and take care of it. It's a, it's a verse of mercy, not a verse of perpetual judgment, which some have tried to teach. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. So the same way that you have a pattern of forgiving these people, you keep that pattern up, because this is demonstrating things to the people that are around you. So God, points out the rejection and he's ready to speak judgment to him. But Moses acts in the role of an intercessor. See, the role of an intercessor is to stand between the gap between the people that have sinned and God. And that's what Moses does. He does not have to be a perfect man. Moses was not a perfect man. He was just one who could tap into the, uh, the good things of God to help the people that were in a place of judgment. Verse 20. And we get to see what God does. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. That was quick. <laughs> but truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, sometimes we get into intercessory prayer and we think it takes weeks and months and we're down there and we're laboring all the time in, in, in uh, intercessory prayer. And yet here we see that Moses intercedes for the entire nation of Israel. They had sinned over and over and over again. And yet Moses comes and we has one prayer. And God says, all right, I've done it. I pardon. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. None of them are going to see it. I'm taking it away from all of them. They're going to die here in the wilderness. That's how it's going to be. So God pardons them. 
But their refusal to do what God says prevented his glory from shining. And that will result in their removal. Same thing happens for us. Our refusal to do what God says and prevent his glory from shining through us will result in our removal. God says, I can find somebody else to, that, that will operate the way that they need to operate. I can find somebody else to do this if you don't want to. We want God's glory to be shining through us. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring in the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. So he's telling them, these Amalekites, these Canaanites, that I had delivered into your hand, that I was ready to send you out and conquer, they're still here. But you no longer have the hand of God on you for this. So you have to be removed from it. Isn't that something? That if their murmurings, and their complaining, and the things that they did to, to bring them into a place of judgment with God, those things took them so that they were vulnerable to the enemy. God's people became vulnerable to the enemy. So God says, we've got to move you away from the enemy. But he said, Caleb, he's got a different spirit in him. But he still had to move too. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. God hears it. Just because it's not made in faith, just because it's not a prayer, doesn't mean that he didn't hear. They had murmurings. Whenever we complain about God, whenever we complain about the things we receive or don't receive from God, we're murmuring. We don't want to do that. Verse 28, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. You see, it was the children of Israel who first began to speak death to themselves. We're going to die. We're going to die in this wilderness. And God says, all right, you've set this to go. First you said, I'm going to, you're going to die because of lack of water. You're going to die because of lack of food. You're going to die for all these different things that they were going to die for. And now they're talking about dying again. Or it would have been better for us if we did die. So God says, all right, you've spoken that death over yourself. Now have it. Be careful of the things that you speak. Now understand, there was belief in it. They didn't just speak it, they believed it. They didn't want it, but they spoke it, they, they believed it. Just like we sometimes get a weather report. How many of you have ever had a weather report you didn't like? We're out of winter now, glory to God. But if you had a, a winter weather report of 10 degrees and uh, a foot of snow, uh, we got it, alright, we got somebody who's like, he's excited. <laughs> but generally, some people just, oh, we don't want that. Oh, I don't like that. Wind blowing, the snow around. Oh, we don't want that. We don't like that. But we'll go and we'll talk about it to the people. Did you hear what's coming? There's a storm coming. I'll talk, I don't want it, but I'll talk about it. And I'll talk about it and with an expectation that it's going to happen. But I don't want it. Just because I don't want a thing doesn't mean I won't talk about it with expectation. Just like these folks. They wanted to go into the promised land. But now they don't expect it's going to happen. They got a report. And that report has changed their mind. I don't think we can do this. 
They don't want to go back into the wilderness. They don't want to go back into Egypt. They wanted to go to the promised land until they heard the report. They were all excited about going to the promised land until they heard the report. Then it changed. Now suddenly we don't want to go to the promised land. If we go in there, we're going to die. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. So if you are 19 and 6 months and a few days, you were spared. If you were 19 years old, 11 months and 15 days, you were spared. 20 years old though. Now that's probably going to start off some more murmuring. Wait a minute. He was born the day before me. I can just see that going on with these people. We don't hear about that, but probably did. Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in. And they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcass, carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years. And you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed. And there they shall die. Now, if you were 59 years old, I'm sorry, if you were 19 years old, by the time you get in there, you're going to be 59. That means 59-year-olds, they don't make up too much of the army. You're kind of past the, the prime of the army. So their kids are going to be the ones they are going to be raised up into the army. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy at the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against them by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. Now that's either a plague that came out now because of their murmurings, which very often we've seen murmurings start a plague, or one of the plagues that came out after this. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of all of the men who went to spy out the land. Now, when we say negative things about what God has spoken to us, what are we doing? We're murmuring. Speaking words against what God has spoken produces separation between me and the life in those words. Because when God speaks words, there's life in them. And if I speak evil about the words that God has spoken to me, I put a separation between me and the life that is in those words. That brings me closer to the death that the enemy desires for me. That's not a direction that we want to go. So God had spoken a word to him. I'm going to take you into the promised land. They sent the spies. The spies brought back a word and they elevated the words of the spies over the words of God. And they rejected doing what God said. So God says, I'm going to take you in to the promised land. And they were all up for it until the report came back. And now they switched. And they despised the word of God. They elevated the words of the men who came 
came back and they murmured against God. Verse 39, Then Moses told the words to all the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early they rose early in the morning and went to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised for we have sinned. This teaches us a whole lot right here in these words. They were sad. They were brought into mourning because of the words that Moses had said. That you're going to die out here in the wilderness. You're going to wander for 40 years. They didn't like that. So they decided, we don't like that word. We're going to go back to the other word. Now God spoke this word to him. He said, I'm going to take you into the promised land. And the people, the giants, all the people that are in there, I'm going to take them out for you. And all they had to do was believe God and, and do what God had said. When they approached it and they heard the report, they said, no, we can't do it. And so they rejected the word. And then when God rejected them and said, all right, now you're going to go wander in the wilderness, they decided, and he said, now you're going to turn around, you're going to go away from here, and you're going to go back into the wilderness. Now they decide we can do it. The only thing that changed is that God's word has said, go back into the wilderness. So God says, go into the promised land. They want to go back into the wilderness. God says, all right, fine, go into the wilderness. They want to go back into the promised land. You see, no matter what it is that God says, it will be hard for you to do it. You will have difficulty. The enemy is going to make it as complicated as he can. He's going to try and make it seem like you cannot do what God said to do. It's going to make it seem like you don't have what it takes. You don't have what is needed. You won't be able to get it done. This is what he's going to do. And so when God says go into the promised land, he's going to bring everything about how you cannot get into the promised land. And when God says, all right, you're not going into the promised land, you're going into the wilderness, he suddenly says, now you can go into the promised land. And they, they welcome it. No, we can go. We can go into the promised land. Verse 41. They even repented. Verse 40. For we have sinned. Yes, throw that on there. God, we sinned. We're going to go back and do what you said. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Moses said, I'm not among you guys. I know what God said. I'm staying over here where where God said to go. But now they're all gung-ho. They're going to face the same giants that had them scared. They're going to go after the same cities that they felt like they couldn't do. They're going to face the same chariots of iron, the same giants, but suddenly they're emboldened. And the only thing that is different is now they're going against the Word of God instead of with it. It is much easier to go against the Word of God than it is to go with it. No matter what the Word of God says to you, it doesn't have to be going to the promised land. Whatever God's Word says to you, it is easier to go against it than it is to go with it. The difficulty of going against it or going with it 
makes no difference. That never comes into play. All that matters is, did God say to do it? If he said to do it, it's going to be hard to do. This is why we keep seeing in all these, all these things we do, Abraham had four things to do. And there was difficulty for him getting it done. We see that probably his father saw the change in him and decided, I want to follow God too. Abraham thinks, probably thinks, this is a good thing. Something had to happen that makes Abraham think I can bring my family along, even though God says don't bring them. Something had to happen that made it look like it was a good thing. He didn't just deliberately disobey the word of God. That wasn't his, his style. He saw something good in it. We will always see something good in going against the word of God. But it's not God's good. It's the enemy's good. It's man's good. Don't go against it. Stay with it. But no matter what God tells you to do, it will be difficult. Just know it. You may look at it and say, oh, that's a piece of cake. Wait till you get there. It will be tough. Because you face a spiritual battle which is far greater than the natural one. And the enemy of our faith wants to keep us from doing what God said to do. So no matter how simple, how small it is, it will seem tough getting it done. So they rejected God's word when he said, go into the promised land. God says, don't go into the promised land. Go back in the wilderness. They reject that word. What seemed impossible to do yesterday now seems possible. But the only thing that changed was God's word to them. Just in the natural, because of the spiritual battle that is going on, it is easier to go against the word of God than it ever will be to obey. And the word of God says, but they presumed. You see, they had a little bit of evidence. God said he wanted us to go in there. But they also have to neglect that God said, don't go in there. Now you're going back into the wilderness because you have murmured against me. They had to bypass all that. So that's why it's presumed. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Now many people died in that battle. Well, they were going to die anyway. They just died sooner. But they didn't have the hand of God with them. Whatever it is that God speaks to you, you will have God's power to carry it about. Whatever it is. If God speaks it to you, you will have God's power to carry it out. You just got to keep on going back. We First off, we check it out. Did God say this to me? This is what God said to me. All right, we're going to hang on to this. We're not letting go of what the Word of God says. The Word of God said, keep on going. You are going to face spiritual battles. You are going to face opposition. It is coming. You may not see it. It may look like smooth sailing. But just like the disciples got in the boat and all looked clear, all of a sudden the storm came. And it wasn't so clear anymore. See, we cannot pick and choose what words we want to obey. We build a pattern of partial obedience if we do. You don't want that pattern. You want a pattern of solid obedience. Doing what God says. When God speaks it, you do it. That's what you, that's what you need to do. Now, if you have ever had received a word from God 
And it seemed impossible to do it. I don't need to ask raised hands. I don't need to comments on Facebook. We've all faced it. In fact, it's impossible not to receive a command from God and not have it appear to be impossible. Because whatever God tells you to do, it will appear to be impossible by natural standpoint, by whatever things are coming against you. It will seem to be impossible. You may even be obedient to it. And as you're obedient to it and you're walking it out, things will come up against you and try and stop you from doing it. Then you might even skip a beat here and there. Try to get back into it. Go right back to it. But whatever God has told you to do, you are capable of getting it done. It's possible. Now, I've told you, you know, when we started this, this series, I told you about that word I got from God to help me out with some uh, injuries I was having. And so I stuck with that word. And I'll tell you what, I had, I think, four or five months perfect every single week. Not a single week off. Every single week was perfect right up to what God said to do. And then March happened. Yeah, March happened. Now, understand, I love to run. So doing this is not hard from, from my, my standpoint. But uh, it was uh, March the 2nd, and I went out for a run, and I felt terrible. And I was out there running with John. And so I, I muttered on through it, and we were even talking about it. He said, you know, sometimes you feel terrible, and you just go out for a run, and you seem like you burn it off. I don't know if that's a technical term or not, but it just seems like you burn it off. And so we were talking about that. I says, yeah. And I felt better by the time I got done the run. But overnight, it took a turn for the worse. And by the next day, I was, I was fever and cold. And uh, I, I think I told you at least some of it. I had uh, two shirts on, a shirt jacket that I wear out in the shop where it's cold, and two blankets on. And I still felt cold. And that went on for five days. And I couldn't go out and run. Couldn't do it. That you know you have a fever, and there's just no way. I wasn't even eating. There's just no way to get on out there and to do it. And so um, I, a couple of times you had to get up and do stuff. I'm, I'm feeling that that hip does not like you know not being not being active. I know what the word of God said to me, but I just can't get out right now. And so finally the fever broke. And the next next week, I couldn't even get up to get into the shop. Just sapped all the energy out of me. It took a week before I could even get into the shop. Stand up long enough and, and to be able to do things. And there was a, a cough going on and anyway, it opened up the door, the bronchitis got in and so I was on some medication. They gave me a medication for that. I've, I told somebody, I said, I've never had a list of bad medications. Anybody have a list of bad medications? It's medications you won't take again. I've never had one, but I have one now because they gave me a medication and it had every ill effect on my body that you could think of. And in fact, even one, this one wasn't so bad as, uh, as some of the other ones, but everything I ate tasted awful. Everything. I, I told one person, I said, you know those uh, Nature Valley granola bars? I love them. I've eaten them for decades. Same flavor. One flavor, the green box. That's it. I don't want any of those. Don't give me yellow box or any other color. I just want the green box. That's it. And I, I eat anywhere from three, four, five of them a day. Easily. Some days more. Just pop them on in. I mean, I, I, I eat them like candy. They're, I love them. But when this was going on, I couldn't stand it. 
I tried to eat one. It was worse than eating cardboard. And there was another thing that I would eat and it was peanut butter. And while I tried that one, oh, it was terrible. I even tried, I was feeling, you know, starting to feel better, starting to eat some stuff. I tried a tasty cake. I mean, how bad can a tasty cake be? Butterscotch crimpet. I love butterscotch crimpets. I couldn't finish it. It tasted awful. I spit it out of my mouth. It was terrible. Everything I ate tasted awful. So I didn't want to eat. And I didn't like eating. So I'm going through the whole next week and I'm still not running. I'm still basically uh, stationary. And finally, I get 12 days of no running. Remember what I was told? 12 days of no running. And finally, I get out there. I'm still under the medication. It's still making me feel terrible. The medication is. I'm still having the cough because it's not having an effect on the bronchitis that it was supposed to. And um, so I go out there and, and run. And I was going to run on Monday. And uh, we, John and I was calling up, John, I'm going to go out there with you. I'm going to go run. And uh, it wasn't working his schedule. And finally, he said, I won't be able to run today. I said, you know what? I'm just going to take another day off and rest for an extra day. And so that's where it was 12 days Tuesday. I came and I, I'm, I'm going to go out and run with him. So I ran out. And we, we were running out there. And I had a bailout. We got to the end of one spot. I said, John, I just can't run. I can't do it anymore. I have to head back. And so I headed back. And came out the next day, and that day I finished it, but I was slow. And he's, he's hearing me breathe, because, you know, the bronchitis is still in there. Medication they gave me isn't doing anything for it. And so got out there the next day and, and made it through. I wasn't sure if I was going. I said, I might have to bail out on you. Made it through. And everything in my body hurt. Everything. The hip hurt. The legs hurt. Breathing hurt. I mean, my stomach was in a, a mess. Every, th- every function I had was messed up. And I got to the starting to run, and all I could say is, I cannot wait until this is over. I would start the run that way. I cannot wait until this is over. I never start a run that way. I cannot wait until this is over. And I got over and said, oh, I finished that. And that happened for the entire week. Every time I started the run, I couldn't wait until it was over. Just wanted to get through it. The whole next week, it didn't get any easier. I was Battle every mile I battled. Everything hurt. The hip hurt. I says, Dear God. This is where you just want to get into that, that flesh area. Anybody want to get into the flesh area? And you want to start talking to God. Says, God, look, let me plead my case with you. I, it's, it's not that I didn't want to do it. It's not that I didn't want to obey, but I didn't do that. I didn't go that direction. It says, Father God, I know. I know. This is what you told me to do. And I was not able to, but I am able to now. I am going to stay with this. I am going to stick it out. And I stuck it out. And I kept going. And after the second week, battling every single day, going out there, not even enjoying it, dreading it when I, oh, it's going to come up. I know I have to get out there and do it. Dreaded it. Don't, I never dread running. Dreaded it. Finally, the third week, the third week I got out there and oh, I felt good. I felt, I felt good. In fact, one day I was, I was running and, um, this is, hasn't been, hadn't been happening for, for a few weeks. I was dragging John along. He came out to me and said, man, you were feeling good today. I said, I sure was. <laughs> but some, some days, some days he drags me along. But, um, a couple of those days I was able to, to do that. But you see, I stayed with it. Because sometimes we want to get into this place and we want to just, oh God, it's so hard to do what you said to do. Oh, I don't feel like I can, I can do it. Oh, but we, we come in there and we murmur and we complain. Don't ever murmur and complain against the Word of God. 
If God spoke it to you, you say, God, I know you spoke this to me. I know, I know this is what we're supposed to do. Everything got cleared up. Everything is doing good. But don't pick and choose what words you want to obey. You build a pattern. You don't want to build that kind of a pattern. Obey whatever it is, he says. I think I put this in your outline. In both partial and complete obedience, I determine what is right and what is wrong. If I'm going to be partially obedient, I'm sorry, both partial and incomplete obedience, I determine what is right and what is wrong. We don't, we don't want to do that. If I get into a place of complete obedience, that's where I want to be. I'm no longer determining what's right and what's wrong. If God said it, then it's right and I just do it. But the enemy wants to get you in there. He wants you to begin to think that God might be off on this. Maybe he wants you to do it this way. Or he didn't know that you were going to be facing this. Or that these people were going to come up against you. God knew it. God knew the Amalekites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. He knows all the, the forces that are there. He knows all the walled cities. He knows all the chariots that are out there. He knows it. You see, anything less than God deciding what is right and what is wrong will build up my soul or my flesh. You don't want that. You want your spirit built up. Do what your spirit says to do. Let me read a verse of scripture here to you in Deuteronomy 1, 39 through 45. You can write that reference down if you want to. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims. This is a narrative. Moses is going back and talking about this story. Who today have no knowledge of good and evil. They shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord, and we will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded up his weapon of war, you were ready to go up to the mountain. And the Lord said to me, Tell them, Do not go up, nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in the mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do. <laughs> Ever been chased by bees? That brings a, a, a very vivid picture for me. We were out on a camping trip one time. I was a kid. We were out on a camping trip one time and we were... Uh, just hiking around with a bunch of uh, people. Had a camp counselor out there. And we were going across a log. There was a log that fell across the, a creek. Now the creek was about four feet down below the log. And we were climbing on the log to get from one side to the other. Because, you know, it's there. That's why you do it. And so uh, I was in the middle of the log. People were in front of me. Other people were behind me. And somebody, some, some nutso kid, decided to go up to an old rotted log and kick it. Just for fun. And guess what was inside the old rotted log? Bees. And that got the bees mad. And so the bees all stormed out of their place and began to spread out and sting all the people that were there. Now, if you weren't on the log, you could just run, go run off. I was on the log. I had people in front of me and people behind me. Bees are coming all over the place. A couple of them got on my pants leg and started stinging. It was, uh, it was not fun. And then once we got free, we were just like this. <laughs> we were running, running everything we could to get away from those bees. That's the picture that he gives you here. 
So I spoke to you that you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in the mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. Well, just understand, the power of God is there on whatever word He speaks to you. That power will never leave that word He spoke to you unless you murmur against it. Unless you go against the word. Don't murmur against the word of God. Don't say to God, oh God, this thing you gave me to do, it's too great. It's too strong. Don't ever murmur against the word of God. Don't ever murmur against God. God, I know you led me into here, but I don't think this was a good way to go. That's murmuring. That's complaining against the things of God. Don't do it. Constantly stand up to the attacks of the enemy. God, you led me here. It is by your word that I am in this place doing the thing that you gave me to do. It is not by my choosing. It's not by my word. It's by yours. I will continue to do what you said, no matter what I face. And I thank you that your power goes with me. Look at all the things that Jesus faced in accomplishing the word that God gave him. And wherever he would go into a synagogue, he would read that word. This is what God spoke to me to do. And he would read that. But how many forces came against him? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the crowds. Constantly people came against him. Sometimes people would come and with such popularity just try and draw everything out of him. And then they'd turn on him and they want to stone him, throw him off a cliff. You're not the only one who faces obstacles when you do the word of God. But when God gives you a word, he's telling you this is where you operate. This is where you go. This is your boundaries. For Israel, go into the promised land and take on these enemies. Just know I'm going with you. I will defeat them. I will help you. We will accomplish this. They decided to murmur against it, complain, and not do it. And then God spoke another word to them. Now you're going into the wilderness. They decided to go against that. It is easy to go against the word of God. It is difficult to go with it. It goes for anything that God tells you. Whether God tells you something natural, something to change in your diet, something to change in the way you exercise, something that you do in, around the house, Whatever it might be. It might be something spiritual. It might be a change in your prayer life. A change in the way that you study the Word. Read the Word. Whatever change it might be. Whatever He tells you to do, it will have difficulty. But He's given you the parameters. This is where I want you to operate. You operate in here. There's power. You operate outside that. There isn't. See, you can't operate within my Word. I can't operate within yours. For me, there's power operating within the word that God gave me. For you, there is power operating within the word that God gives you. Well, he only gave me one word. That's fine. Do it. Do that one word because you won't get the second word until you do the first one. As we saw with Abraham, remember? Abraham had four things. And when he finally got the fourth thing right in his life, and that was finally working, as soon as he got that going, then the word of the Lord came to him again. Many times the reason we don't have any more from God is because we have not obeyed the first word. Take what God said, says to you. Don't downplay it. Don't say, well, this is not really 
this is not really going to make all that much of an effect because that's what he's going to try and do. But don't do it. Don't make assumptions that, well, I guess this is what God meant. Don't make presumptions. Whatever God says, do it. Make sure that you're careful to do all that he says. That's why you meditate on it day and night. That you may be, as you told Joshua, that you may be careful to do all that is written therein. Make sure that you're careful to do all that is written in there. Would you stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have spoken to each and every one of us. You have given us words. Some of them are just a general word and it's in the Bible. And we need to bring our life into obedience to that because you see that if we do, if we bring our life into obedience to that word that you showed us, power awaits. Sometimes it's a word you spoke to our spirit, a word you spoke to us about our jobs, a word that you spoke to us about our families, our physical bodies, whatever it might be, you spoke a word to it. And as we believe that word, it changes our life. Whatever direction you send us, that direction will have opposition. There will be winds, there will be waves, there will be obstacles, there will be people who block it, people who speak evil about us for doing it. But we need to take the word that you spoke to us and do it. Obey it. Stay with it. I thank you for it. You're here listening to me now. If there's something in your life God has spoken to you about, it may just be something in the word of God. A verse of scripture you're reading and boy, it came out to you and you said, I need to get myself in line with that verse. Direct all of your efforts, all of your focus. Meditate on that verse day and night and bring your life into obedience to it. Maybe something he spoke to your spirit. It may be something he spoke to you through someone else. But stay mindful of that. Bring yourself into obedience to it. And just know there will be opposition. In fact, there will be great opposition. There will be opposition that you can't even see. But God has given you everything you need to overcome. And when we overcome and do the word that he tells us, oh, the glory that comes to his name and the power that comes into our life. It's memorable. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing with us, all that you speak to us. And I thank you that you expose every assumption that we've made and the deception that it brought into our life. And I thank you that you lead us in a way that we will not be presumptuous like the children of Israel were here. But we will, with humility, obey you. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Keith.